Chapter 13 of A Girl of High Adventure. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Girl of High Adventure by L.T. Mead. Chapter 13, The Pines. Now there dawned an apparently very happy time in the life of little Margot St. Just. Her whole heart was full of love, and with love was also a keen interest for the Desmonds of Desmondstown. Of course, Grandad, the Grandad, came first, but next to him was Uncle Fergus. As they talked together over the trees they were planting and the fruit that would come to perfection from the same trees, the little girl rejoiced at the thought that her small efforts were bringing comfort and riches to the home of her ancestors. In short, whenever she was not with Grandad, she was with Uncle Fergus, who threw himself into his work as indeed a son of the soil. It was amazing to see this fine-looking man digging, delving, plowing, arranging. He also got Phineas Maloney to assist him, and in an incredibly short space of time, the brick wall was built and the tiny trees planted, which were to bring forth such a rich harvest by and by. Then Margot suggested strawberries, and Uncle Fergus made a strawberry plot. Then she suggested raspberries and gooseberries, to say nothing of various sorts of roses, little bush roses, which would go on flowering during the greater part of the year. Whatever Margot suggested, Fergus obeyed. He had not been so happy since he had left Old Trinity. Margot called herself his assistant gardener, and the Desmond came out now and then to watch the pair with pride. "'Wherever does the abbot get the money, madam?' he said more than once. But madam would only shake her head and say they might safely leave it in the hands of Fergus. The Desmond happened to make this remark one day, at the midday meal, and in the presence of reparation. Reparation was going back to England in a couple of days now. She dreaded the thought beyond words. What was Grandad going to do when he was left to the complete wiles of the little Comtesse? She dreaded Grandad, as she called him privately to herself, inexpressibly. She wouldn't dare utter a word in his presence. As to the Desmond, he hardly ever gave the bit Colleen a thought. She was welcome to stay in the old house if she didn't bother him, but Margot was equally determined that reparation should go. She was not thoroughly happy with her about. As a matter of fact, she was not sure of her. There was a light which she could by no means admire or trust in the small, light blue eyes of Tilly of England. In short, she avoided her as much as possible. But Tilly was completely taken up with young Aunt Nora and young Aunt Bridget, whom she called by their Christian names, and said that they looked a lot younger than herself. I'm fourteen, she said, but you, you are only kittens. Now nothing could please a Mrs. Desmond more than to be compared to kittens, and they petted Tilly when she talked to them in this strain, and thoroughly believed her. But Tilly had her own object in view. She did not want to leave Desmondstown, and said that she thought the best possible thing she could do would be to explain certain matters to the Desmond. These matters would of course relate to Margot, and would require a great deal of courage. Nevertheless, she believed she might manage it, and, as the days flew by, and as the time of her departure approached, so the more strongly did she make up her mind to the final and great step. 
Now, Malachi was a man of his word. For that matter, all the Desmonds were truthful. Malachi had promised to teach Tilly to ride, and he took her out on a broken-down old mare, a creature so feeble and slow that the timidest person could not fear when seated on her back. Tilly bore with the mare for a few days, but then she became discontented. She saw Nora and Bridget fly by on thoroughbreds of rare spirits. They bounded over hedges and gates and ditches. They seemed to tread the very air. Tilly got jealous of them and also became exceedingly tired of her slow old mare. There happened to be a horse in the stable, a young and exquisite creature whom Malachi was taking special care of. He was a thoroughbred from Donegal and was not yet quite broken in, but every day Malachi put on a sort of skirt and rode sideways on the spirited and lovely creature and gradually brought the horse into training. He obeyed Malachi's slightest touch. He was of a deep chestnut in tone with a white star on his forehead. His points were perfect, and Malachi was teaching him, as he expressed it, to lep over everything, so that he might be fit for the hunting when it began. One day he brought the horse Starlight home, covered with foam and somewhat disturbed in his temper. "'There now, old boy,' said Malachi, "'you'll have your feed of the whitest of white oats "'and be ready for another try over that wide ditch tomorrow.' Malachi, as was his custom, spoke his words aloud. He was busy all the time washing down and rubbing the beautiful creature. He then took him to his stall and said, "'Good old boy, dear old boy, "'you'll be fit for that very wide ditch tomorrow. "'You funked it a bit today, but you won't ever again.' How, then, eat my mannequin, eat. That's a lovely horse, said Reparation, standing at the door. Malachi gave a start when he saw the ugly little girl. To be sure he's a jewel, no less, was his instant rejoinder. I'd like well to ride him, Malachi, said Reparation. I'm tired of the old mare. She's so slow, she only crawls. I want to fly like Nora and Bridget and you on Starlight. "'May I ride Starlight tomorrow, Malachi?' "'May you?' exclaimed Malachi. "'Do I want to see yourself broken into little bits? "'You keep away from this horse. He's not for you.' "'But why not?' asked Tilly, coming into the stable now and approaching close to the animal. "'Keep back if you want to keep your features,' said Malachi. "'He'll kick out if he looks at you. "'As sure as my name is Malachi Desmond.' "'Why should he, Malachi?' "'But Tilly stepped back a pace or two as she spoke.' Why shouldn't I ride Starlight? What are you keeping him for? And you do look such a figure of fun, Malachi, dressed like an old woman with a skirt over you. I'm training the horse for my niece, said Malachi. He'll be ready for her long before she goes back to that place in France. Drat it. There now, you'll never manage more than the mare, Tilly, and I can't stand talking to you any more. Be off and play with the girls. They've come in from their ride, and I am sure they are willing enough to amuse you. Take my hand for one minute, Malachi, said Tilly. Malachi, with extreme unwillingness, complied and led the little girl out of the stables. He shut the door behind Starlight, who was enjoying his oats and feeling soothed and comfortable. He did not like his training at all, but afterwards there always came the washdown and the rubdown and the delicious tender white oats, and he couldn't unseat Malachi try as he would. "'Is that beautiful horse really for the shopkeeper?' inquired Tilly. "'It's for no shopkeeper. What on earth do you mean? It's for my niece, the Pushkin, 
and I've saved up and sent for an elegant habit for her to cork. It will arrive any day now. There, I can't talk to ye any more. Ye are so downright foolish. Come and play horses with us, Till, said Nora, who appeared at that moment. As a matter of fact, Nora had been standing in the vicinity of Starlight Stable for the last few minutes, and certain words uttered by Tilly had aroused her curiosity. "'Why ever did ye go ballyrag in Malachi?' she exclaimed. "'He's not a boy to be put out when he's over the horses. Leave him to himself and come with me. Biddy and I, and the curate, Mr. Flanagan, are going to have a jolly play.' "'I'm willing to come,' said Till. "'Well, ye must be prepared to run, while the others follow. "'I say, Till, whatever nonsense did you talk to Malachi about the Pushkin's horse?' "'I said it wasn't a horse fit for a shopkeeper,' replied Tilly. "'Well, and whoever said it was? "'It is for the Pushkin, the sweetest pet in the world. "'Why, me old father, he is fit to devour her with love.' "'For all that, she is the shopkeeper,' said Tilly. "'She keeps a shop at Arles.' She goes to the shop every day of her life, when there, and sells things and calls herself la petite comtesse, and they all buy from her, more especially the farmer's wives, and she puts on the price like anything. She's a real, real shopkeeper, but I can't see why she should get a beautiful horse like Starlight, and I should have nothing but a stupid old mare who will hardly stir her stumps. You come in, Nora, flying over every obstacle, and there's that beauty being got ready for the pushkin, as you call her, but I know what she is, the shopkeeper of Arles. I don't believe it for a single moment, said Nora, but her pretty old young face turned a little white. Look here, Till, she said. You keep that bit of gossip safe in your breast, and don't let it out for the Lord's sake, or there'll be a hue and a cry. There now, you understand what I mean. There's no sense in it. My word, a daughter of the Desmond's a shopkeeper. Get out with you and don't be such a fool. I'm not a fool and I know who I'll tell it to, said Till, who was now bursting with rage. She had only two more days at delightful Desmond's town. Little it mattered to her that the house was half bare, that the food was a trifle coarse. Was there not life in the place and nobody scolded and no one was cross? She did not want to go. She would get that old man Desmond to let her stay a good bit longer. Why should Margot, who kept a shop, have everything, and she, Matilda Raines, have nothing but the use of an old mare? And she must go back, oh, in a couple of days now, to her dreadful stepmother and her cross-cross father. But, but she would have her revenge first. She did not care what happened if only she had her revenge." While the old youngs and Mr. Flanagan and Tilly were playing the celebrated game of Puss in the Corner, Malachi, his face all alight with joy, entered his father's sanctum. Little Margot had been helping Fergus with the making of the beautiful new fruit garden, but her toils were over for the present, and she was sitting on Grandad's knee, wrapped up, in short, in Grandad, as though she was part of him. Her beautiful, soft, jet-black hair made a vivid contrast to his white beard. She lay back comfortably in his arms, almost too happy to speak. She felt as though she was indeed part of him. He belonged to her. She was his very own. Madame, as usual, was crocheting in the distant window. No one took much outward notice of the sweet little Madame, 
that then she was the very person whom her sons and daughters and her old husband adored. And little Margot loved her also, although not quite so much as she loved the Desmond. "'To be sure, it must be just as you wish, Pushking,' said the old man, and just at that moment Malachi, with his smiling handsome face, entered the room. "'What are you up to now, Malachi?' said the old man. "'Starlight is quite broken in for gentle exercise,' he said. "'I wouldn't trust him yet for great gaps or ditches, but he'd be safe, quite safe, for the Pushkin to ride on the high road, and I'll ride beside her on Brian the Brave. I've come to tell you this, Pushkin. The horse is ready. Starlight is ready. I took a good bit out of her this morning, and your habit has come from cork as well as a saddle. You'll look elegant. That's the only word for it. Mounted on Starlight with me alongside of you, we might go for a ride after dinner. I've taken some of the nonsense out of Starlight this morning. He'll be as easy as a bit of silk to manage after we have had our early dinner. To be sure, that's fine news, said the Desmond. But you must take precious care of my little treasure, Malachi. To be sure, and that I will. You can trust me, said Malachi. We'll go soft and easy along the high road, and Push King can call and see Annie Maloney and her children. Oh, I would like it, Grandad, said Margot, raising her dear, bright little face. To be sure you would, said the Desmond. I suppose the king of all the Desmonds is a bit stale for me to mount Malachi. He's a bit old, father, but there's good blood in him still. You sit easy by the fire with little madam, and I'll take Pushkin for her first ride on Starlight alone. We can talk about your riding the king of the Desmonds later. The habit was a very pretty one of dark blue cloth, and there was a little soft crimson cap with a long tassel for the Pushkin to put over her jet black hair. Nothing could be more altogether becoming. And the child's total absence of fear communicated itself to the high-spirited horse, who led her bravely uphill and down dale, Malachi riding beside her on Brian the Brave. Oh, never was there anything quite so delightful as that ride to the little Pushkin. And little, little did she suspect that her happy days at Desmond's town were coming so quickly to an end. She could dance by nature, and she could ride by nature. What Desmond had ever funked a horse? And this child surely was a true Desmond, a chip of the old block. The old Youngs and Mr. Flanagan were enjoying themselves at special games on the back lawn when little Margot flashed by in her new dark blue habit with her crimson cap and tassel. She came up quite close to the gate, but pulled in Starlight at a word from Malachi, and then the two horses and the man and the girl disappeared up the high road. "'Isn't she a pretty little thing?' said Flanagan. Tilly felt a sense of madness coming over her. Now was her opportunity. Now, now or never. She slipped away from the old youngs and softly, unhasping the door of the Desmond Sanctum, entered and stood before him, her hands folded, her heart beating fast.' The Desmond was gently going off into the land of dreams, and Madame was motioning to Till to leave the room, but Till's chance had come, and she would not lose it. "'I want to speak,' she said. "'I want to speak to the Desmond. I won't keep him long. He can grant my request, and then nothing need be done, or he can refuse it, and then, behold, consider the fruit trees of all sorts, the strawberry beds, the raspberry canes, the roses.' "'Who is talking? Who is bothering me entirely?' exclaimed the Desmond. "'I don't want to bother you, sir,' said Tilly, although she had such a queer trembling in her limbs that she never exactly knew the meaning of goose-flesh before. 
Oh, your till reigns, said the old man. I couldn't get at the back of your name for a minute. What do ye want, Alana? I'm sleepy and I want to doze. I want to doze while my pushkeen is out. Oh, do you indeed, said Tilly, who, as is often the case, got less nervous as the time went on. The old man raised his jet-black eyes and looked at the girl. What do you want, young English miss? he said. He looked very severe and very stately. Tilly's voice began to choke a little. You are the Desmond, she said. I'm that. Who doubts it? I don't, sir. Only you. You frighten me a bit, and I don't like to see you deceived. Hurrah, then. Get out of this, said the Desmond. Play with the young girls, and don't keep bothering me. I will, in one minute. I will, really. Only I have something dreadful to tell you. Not about my pushkeen. God Almighty help us not about my pushkeen. Listen to me, sir, said Tilly. May I stay here as long as your pushkeen stays? And may I ride Starlight every second day? If you say yes to those two things, sir, everything will be right and you'll never, never know. The Desmond rose slowly and ponderously from his chair. What are ye after at all, Colleen? he said. The pushkeen herself says ye are to go in two days and her wishes are to be first considered in this house. Oh, are they? said Tilly her face almost black with rage. Then I'll tell, I'll tell. You'll tell nothing till he reigns, said Madame, coming up in her soft and sweet way, and taking the girl out of the room, she closed the door between her and the Desmond. Now you behave yourself while you are here, she said. Himself is not to be worried. You understand that clear and cool. Go back and play with my daughters. You can't hurt our Pushkin nor the Desmond himself for all you're trying. Tilly was terribly disappointed. What with the ferocity of the Desmond and the calm, cool firmness of Madame, she had not a chance to get out those hateful words. But she would punish Pushkin yet. Yes, she would. She did not go back to join the others, but sitting in the porch, thought and thought out her system of revenge. Presently came the sound of horses' feet tramping down the avenue. Little Margot leaped to the ground as light as a feather, a groom sprang into view, and Margot went straight up to Tilly. "'Why aren't you with the others?' she said. "'Oh, I have had a glorious ride.' "'You are a nasty, mean, deceitful thing,' said Tilly. "'They would have kept me on here but for you, and I just downright hate you.' "'Oh, Tilly, you oughtn't,' said Margot. "'What have I done to you?' "'Done? You've done enough in all conscience. "'You get everything. I get nothing.' And when I went and spoke to the Desmond about staying a little longer, he said you didn't wish it. You, forsooth, I must ride that doddering old mare, and you must have that beautiful horse, Starlight. You must have everything, and I must have nothing. But I'll revenge myself on you yet. See if I don't. I'm sorry, Tilly, said Margot in her sweet voice. But I do think you ought to go back home on Thursday. You have been with us for three weeks, and we have all tried to give you a good time. You haven't, so don't think it, said Tilly. Well, I did my best. I told you I should have to spend most of the time with my granddad, and the people and the place here do belong to me, Tilly, and they don't to you. I'm very, very sorry, but I do think you ought to go home. I wouldn't say it 
indeed I wouldn't, if I didn't most truly think it. You'll have been here three weeks on Thursday, and that's a good long time. Tilly now, isn't it? I'll have my revenge. I vow I will, said Tilly. I don't know what you can do, but you must just act as you please, said Margot in a very sad voice. I did want to make you happy. I did most truly, but what was I to do? You wouldn't be happy, try as I would. You can't ride like a Desmond. It isn't in you. Little shopkeeper, don't talk any more, said Tilly, and she dashed out of sight, crying as she went. How it so happened that while Matilda Raines was planning out her revenge with a certain amount of skill, little Margot had taken off her habit and was seated in her favorite place on her grandfather's knee. He told her a little about the troublesome girl, and Margot begged of him not to mind, for it was only her way, and she was soon going. "'Thank the Lord for that,' said the Desmond. "'I'd have let her stay, but you put your own big foot down, Pushkin.' "'Oh, yes, Grandad, it is time she went home. I'm sorry for her, rather, but she's not—not not very nice, I, I mean.' "'She's not nice at all,' said the Desmond. "'She's a common little brat. "'What sort of school was that they sent you to, light in my eyes? "'How did you come by her sword entirely?' "'I couldn't help it, Grandad. "'She was at the school. "'Shall I tell you about my ride on Starlight?' "'Yes, do, to be sure. "'It's real pretty to hear your sweet voice.' "'So Margot talked, and the old man asked questions. "'He asked innumerable questions, "'and Margot showed that she was a true Desmond by her replies.' Meanwhile, Tilly, her heart set on revenge, was creeping nearer and nearer to the stables and the beautiful new loose box, which had all been arranged for the comfort of starlight. There, in a certain corner, hung the new saddle, which had just arrived from Cork. Malachi was having a gentle snooze in a corner of the stall, but he was fond of calling himself a cat who invariably slept with one eye open. Tilly had not the least idea that he was there, but he saw her all the time. She thought herself quite alone with the exception of Starlight and the new saddle. She did not guess even for a moment that Malachi had opened that one eye of his very wide, in fact that he had opened both eyes. Tilly produced out of her pocket a pin cushion, which contained pins of different sorts and degrees. These she cleverly inserted in the lining of the new saddle. Malachi watched her, his eyes twinkling, she put the saddle back in its place, but did not do it well, for the saddle fell. Nevertheless, Malachi did not stir. Tilly now rushed out of the stable. Her revenge was in sure progress of beginning and acting well. When she was quite out of sight, Malachi rose, picked up the saddle, which was bristling with pins, and removed all of them except one. This he left in, placing it carefully and with skill in such a position that whoever rode on starlight would drive the obnoxious pin a little way into the animal's hide. He very carefully folded up the rest of the pins in a piece of paper, slipped them into his vest pocket, and entered the house. During the whole of that evening he was in the highest spirits and laid himself out to entertain Tilly. The next morning he went to his father and said, that as this was the very last day that Tilly Raines would spend with them, she might as well have a little bit of a ride on Starlight. His face was all over Twinkles as he made the request. It won't do the beastie any harm, he said, and Pushkin will lend Tilly her habit. Of course I will, said Pushkin, who was feeling a little bad at Tilly's cruel words. 
Accordingly, at breakfast time, Malachi turned to Tilly, told her that he had been considering matters, and did not see why she should not ride quite as well as Pushkin, and if she liked, he would take her out that morning on the Pushkin's thoroughbred, the Pushkin lending her her habits, and he riding beside her on Brian the Brave. "'Oh, but, but will you really?' exclaimed Tilly. Then she remembered the pins and became very grave and distraught. "'Please, Malachi,' said Tilly, "'may I run round to the stables first? I want to look at Starlight before I mount him.' "'And what would ail ye not to?' said Malachi. Tilly rushed as fast as she could to the stables, entered the one containing Starlight, and taking down the new side saddle began to search for the pins. But Malachi had been too clever for Till, for he had placed the one pin in such a way that it would soon begin to annoy Starlight, and in such a position that Tilly could not find it. She came back to the house in the highest spirits for her ride. Someone had removed the pins, she was quite safe. She would show the Irish Margot what riding really meant. End of chapter 13